Well, we're continuing our way through the book of Hebrews today. So if you do have a Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 29. And I, what I think is a very appropriate passage for today for a number of reasons. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And uh, the title of the message today is The Great Faith of Moses, His Family, and His Followers. The Great Faith of Moses, His Family, and His Followers. By the way, before I even get to that, thank you, Annie and Natalie, for the beautiful decorations this morning. And I hope these tables will all be filled with you eating chili and having good fellowship with one another. So please stay after. Even if you didn't bring anything, there will be plenty of food here this morning. Well, nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school that morning. And he said, well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his army build a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across safely. Then he radioed headquarters for reinforcements and they sent bombers to blow up the bridge and all the Israelites were safe. Now, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you, his mother asked? Well, no, Mom, but if I told it the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. Well, every one of us as believers in Christ, and as a church as a whole, um, regularly face intimidating circumstances. We face difficult situations like Moses and the people of Israel, and those situations and circumstances require faith. Faith in God's promises, faith in his power, um, uh, to get through them and to experience the great things that God wants us to do in response, wants to do for us in response to our faith. Now, some of these experiences that we're going through right now are very large and intimidating. Some of you came in here with really looming, difficult situations and circumstances. Uh, also, to speak of the daily uh, situations that we face that we need to exercise faith in God to get us through. Um, my question this morning is this for you. What seemingly impossible or threatening situations are you facing today? What'd you come in here with? Seems to loom over you. Seems to rent space in your head, as they say, and kind of take over your life. And I could speak to that as a church, as we've just heard. We've got some challenges. What seemingly impossible or threatening situations are you f- facing as an individual or we as a church that God wants us to respond to him in faith? What are they? Okay. And I think today, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this just to exaggerate, I think Moses is the greatest example of faith in the Bible. I really do. And we're going to learn from Moses today. Now, first it needs to be said that as a, as a hero or as a, a role model for the people of Israel, Moses uh, rated highest on their list. Listen to the epitaph that the Jews give Moses in the last few verses of Deuteronomy. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, 
who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. He was venerated. He was their greatest prophet, their greatest lawgiver, their greatest historian, their greatest deliverer, their greatest saint. He was, they even exalted Moses over the angels. Okay? And so we're going to learn from the faith of Moses today and apply it to our own difficult circumstances and situations, our own situation as a church, and I believe that we're going to go out of here this morning more encouraged than we came in. Amen? Okay, thank you for that. So the title of the message is The Great Faith of Moses, His Family, and His Followers. Now we're going to start with the faith of Moses' family, more specifically his parents. Okay, because in verse 23, we're, we're, we're given a, a synopsis of the faith of Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed was their name. Look at verse 23, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Try hiding a baby for three months right after they're born. That'd be pretty tough. Because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. They hid Moses three months for three months after he was born. And then, when they could hide him no longer, they put him in a basket and set him loose. You know, I have a hard enough time sending my grown adult children loose. I can't imagine what, how hard it is to set a, your baby loose. But they knew they had to do it. They put him in a basket, or a, a basket coated with tar, pitch, put him into the reeds of the Nile River and set him loose, okay? It's a difficult situation. Pharaoh was getting threatened by the Israelites. They were growing, their population was growing hand over fist. He didn't like that idea. And so he told the Israelite midwives, if a girl is born fine and dandy, if a boy is born, kill him. Well, like good Jewish midwives, they said, no can, not going to do that. We would rather obey God than man. And they didn't. And the population kept growing. And Pharaoh comes back once again and says, when you get a male baby, throw him into the Nile River. Drown him. We don't want any more Israelites here. They're threatening to me. They're growing too much in population. And that's when Moses' parents put him in the basket and set him free because they love their child. Why did they do that? Well, for a couple reasons. But it says in verse 23 that Amram and Jochebed saw that he was no ordinary child. And I thought, what parent doesn't say, my baby is no ordinary child? Exodus 2.1 gets a little more specific. It says he was a fine or beautiful child. But I think it's talking more than just physical appearance. Okay, I really do. Aside from the fact that all parents feel this way about their children, that they're no ordinary children... How did Jochebed and Amram know that he was no ordinary child? I had to think about this and think about this this week before I wrote it down uh, to share with you. You know, we're never told why they thought he was no ordinary child. Nowhere. I, I looked and looked and looked. We're, we're, we're not told. But after thinking about it, I think I possibly came up with, or my guess is that, there's a reason why they saw he was no ordinary child, and this is the reason. 
my guess is Jochebed and Amram were so in tune with God in their personal lives that they were able to hear God's voice in their spirit telling him that Moses was no ordinary child and was destined for something special. I think it was because they were in tune with God. You say, Mitch, what's the most important thing I can be as a Christian and as a parent? To be in tune with God. Okay? I think that's really important. I think they were in tune with God. And I think that's what faith is all about. They were in tune with God. Okay? By the way, to you parents here or grandparents here this morning, Christmas is coming up. What's the best thing as a parent or a grandparent you can give your child or grandchild? What's the best present? Being in tune with God. Being in tune with God. Okay, and you ask me, why is that the case? Because if you're as a parent or as a grandparent in tune with God, and I mean you're in the word of God, you're praying to God, you're fellowshipping with other Christians, when you're in tune with God, it gives your child or your grandchild a godly reference point, parents and grandparents. Now that's for now, but what if your child strays away from the Lord? It gives them a reference point to come back to. So whether they're still with you or they've gone and maybe they've strayed or they're taking the scenic route through life and they're not hot for Christ at the moment, give them a reference point to come back to by staying close to God. Okay? We have a dear friend who lives out of state. Has had a very difficult time with one of their children. One of their children walks with God. It's a very godly child. And one of their children has taken a left turn away from God. And it's been years. This is an adult child. And we got a phone call the other day. And uh, one of the things that this individual shared with us is they said, you're never going to believe what happened to my child. I'm not going to give gender. I'm not going to anything like that. They said, God has been softening their heart. And this is after years of agonizing prayer and, and, and difficulty for this child. And I was, I said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, oh, praise God, you know. <laughs> I knew it all along. Because I have been praying for this, this, this child for every day, for years. Give them a reference point to come back to. Be in tune with God like Jochebed and Amram. Okay, A godly life as a parent or a grandparent carries great power for kids and grandkids. And in a sense, Moses was preserved by his parents' faith and prayers and trust. And then notice also in verse 23 it says, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why was, were Amram and Jochebed not afraid of the king's edict? Because while fear kills faith, faith kills fear. Why? Because when we exercise faith in the promises and the faithfulness of God, we're putting the matter into God's hands. And it kills our fear. Well, you say maybe the, the, 
it begs the question, how do I increase my faith? Because right now I'm feeling pretty weak in my faith. Well, faith increases with a greater understanding of God and his promises, and we find that those in God's word. So that's the faith of Moses' parents. Okay? The faith of Moses' parents. And if you ask me what principle the faith of Moses' parents give us, it's the principle that faith trusts God even when we don't see the end result. Amen? Even when we don't see the end, the answer, whether it's our kids or grandkids or anything else on the planet, even when we don't see it, even when we haven't gotten it yet, even though we haven't experienced the end result, faith trusts God even when we don't. Okay, now let's go to Moses. We've seen his parents, his family. Now let's go to the faith of Moses himself. And we see Moses' faith in verses 24 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now the second principle here this morning is Faith trusts God even though we don't see the end result. The second principle that Moses gives us is this. Faith is willing to give up anything to receive God's best for our lives. Faith is willing to give up anything to receive God's best for our lives. And we're going to look at three by faiths here. I don't know if you noticed when I read verses 24 through 28 there, it says about Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith. We're going to look at those three. Okay, first one. By faith, Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification. Painful rejection over personal gratification. I'll read it again. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, verse 24, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that he was the, the destroyer of the firstborn, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. The principle that Moses gives here <clears throat> is that faith is willing to give anything to receive God's best. So now we're going to look at the three by faith here. By faith, first of all, Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification. Okay, we see that in verses 24 through 26. How did Moses do this? In three ways. Three ways Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification. First, by faith, he chose painful rejection over personal gratification because Moses valued his true identity as a believer above any human relationship. In verse 24, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. God and his Jewish heritage were more important to Moses than even the closest 
human relationship. And I want you to think about how hard that was. Because after uh, Moses' mother was allowed to nurse Moses, and shortly after, after he had grown a little bit, he was given back into the motherhood of Pharaoh's daughter until he was 40 years old. Now that had to have been hard for Moses. No doubt, certainly he had affection for his real mom, but he had developed affection for his Egyptian mother, so to speak. I mean, she raised him for the most part, and she would have been filled with pain, and Pharaoh would have been filled with rage. But Moses shows us that no human person, whether it's a spouse or a brother or a sister or a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or an acquaintance or a friend should be more important than God in our lives. I say it with an ache in my heart of how many people have forsaken God for a human relationship. I've seen it so many times over the years. And it's a tragic thing to see. But Moses was such a great man of faith. He didn't forsake um, the, the Lord for a human relationship. You know, Jesus made that clear in this gospel in Luke, that you should never forsake God or Christ for a human relationship. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. How callous Jesus is. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the uh, service in the kingdom of God. What Jesus was saying, these guys weren't anywhere near dead. And Jesus knew it. And he knew those guys just didn't want to bury their fathers because their fathers weren't anywhere near dead. And he didn't want to say goodbye to their family. They just wanted to hang out with their family longer. It was an excuse to put a human person above the Lord Jesus. God doesn't want us to do that. You know, I'm married to a pretty special person. She's not here so I can talk about her. She's ministering to the kids. But I can tell you one thing about my wife, Debbie, that God is way more important to her than I am. I'm second but God is first. And I think that's what really attracts me to her more than anything else. And I'm putting God first before her. You know, I know there are good marriage books. I know that. I know it. I know it. And I know there are good marriage seminars and good marriage workshops and good marriage principles, and we're offered them, and, and they're great. But I think we overcomplicate things. I think as married couples, if we put God before our spouse, we're going to have a great marriage because we'll be humble and broken and repentant and caring and all the other things that happen when you develop your relationship with God. But if you put a person first, that's when things start to go downhill because we're not developed in our character. I just thought I'd throw that in, okay? It's, I, I just, I'm excited about the way I see marriages flourish when the, the partners put God first. No one should go before God. Second, Moses, by faith, Moses chose 
painful rejection over personal gratification because Moses chose severe mistreatment by, the, by people instead of the temporary pleasures of sin. Look at verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. You know, you've got to think about this, brothers and sisters. At 40 years of age, it, must, it might have been hard for Moses to, to diss all the blessings that he had by being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Think about the incredible amount of money and prestige and education and pleasure that were at his fingertips anytime he wanted it. Available anytime. He had the best of everything. He had the best food, the best clothes, the best housing. Any woman he wanted. He even had a Lamborghini at that time. <laughs> and what did Moses say? He said, you know what? I would rather choose severe mistreatment by people than the temporary pleasures of sin. I would rather choose a, 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 a better and more lasting path of following God and his will for my life, even if it meant worldly loss or human mistreatment. God may ask you to do that sometime in a period in your life. He may ask you to give up worldly priorities for the lordship of Jesus. And when it comes to that point, it really isn't any contest, is it? It's really not. It, it, but you know why? Verse 25 tells us, because of the temporary nature of sin. Now, am I the only one that has experienced sin here? Good. And am I the only one that's ever experienced the temporary pleasure of sin? Do you ever notice how temporary it is? You think, I'm going to say this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to think this. I'm going to act this way. And it looks so delicious. And then moments after you've done it as a Christian, you just feel yucky. Sin is, has such a temporary nature of pleasure. It all started in the Garden of Eden, and it's been that way ever since. You know, Satan is the master disguiser of the temporary nature and the destructive results of sin. Many have chosen the temporary pleasure of sin above a decision to give their lives fully to Christ. And they're going to suffer eternal separation from God for it. But it's not just limited to unbelievers. We as believers, and I just, I grieve when I say this because I'm pointing the finger at myself, we succumb to the temporary pleasure of sin all the time at the expense of yielding our lives to the control of Jesus. And every time we go back to God and we say, oh Lord, I fell for the schemes of the enemy once again. I thought it was going to give me so much, that thing I was going to buy, that thing I was going to say, that way I was going to act, those thoughts I was going to think, and Holy Spirit, oh, I'm so sorry, but it just, it just, and we play the same game so often. But now Moses, he forsook the pleasures of this world and severe mistreatment by people. He forsook it rather than experience the temporary pleasures of sin. A third uh, reason Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification. And by the way, if you're in the, in the midst of a decision to choose some type of sin or some type of act of rebellion against God, whether it's from your tongue or your brain or your hands or your, 
whatever. I just hope that this sermon will come back on you and you will see that it's not going to be worth it. And go to the Lordship of Christ. But third here in verse 26, we're told that by faith Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification because Moses regarded disgrace, which means ridicule, ridicule and persecution, for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of this world. Look at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, we've already talked about the fact that by faith, Moses set aside all the worldly pleasures he could have. We've talked about that already. And that he was willing to do that. And by that way, this means that Moses suffered reproach for the sake of, when it says here, because you say, you may look at verse 26 and says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. You think Christ wasn't even born yet. How could Moses, as the greatest uh, Hebrew uh, man of faith in the Bible, how could he, how could he forsake, uh, dis regard, regard disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt when Christ wasn't even born yet? How could he do that? Well, let me read you a, a quote by Stephen Cole that I think clarifies that. This means that Moses suffered reproach for the sake of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, because they identified with Messiah's people and purpose long before Christ came to earth. Every believer since Adam's fall has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, no matter in what age he lived. So it is true, therefore, that any believer at any time who suffered for God's sake has suffered for Christ's sake. And I just want to say this as a person. I'm, I'm an observer. I, I, that's, I, this, I observe. I'm, are anybody else here kind of an observer? Yeah, I'm an observer. Did I mention that I'm an observer yet? I, um, and I'm observing society. Anybody observing society? I see an elevation of coarseness and vulgarity and profanity I see an elevation of human impatience and even violence. Ask any flight attendant if I'm right or wrong, okay? And I see an elevation of the rejection of Christianity. Now, in our country, it may be just a, a slow upward grade. In other countries, it's a sh sharp peak. But I see that, and I think that times are coming, and it may be 10, 15, 20, 30, I don't know years, but we're, we're going to have to regard disgrace or ridicule, or ridicule or persecution for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of this world. Okay? John Owen, a Puritan who was born in 1616, said, quote, there is no such blinding, hardening lust in the minds or hearts of men as hatred for the people of God and their ruin. I'm seeing it, slowly but surely. So we need to be ready like Moses to regard disgrace, ridicule, and persecution for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of this world. But it gives us a reason why Moses had this kind of faith. If you look at the second part of verse 26, because he was looking ahead to his reward. How many of you believers here ever think about the fact that very soon you're going to be rewarded? I see some hand raised back there. Be careful about those raised hands, by the way. 
Just kidding. Raise your hands. We're going to get a reward. We're almost, we're close to being rewarded. He was looking ahead to his reward. We who are living for Christ and may be rejected for Christ, but who have repented of our sin and trusted Christ and now identify with God's people, we are going to get an unspeakably great reward from Jesus' hands himself. Each one of us, individually. That's an exciting prospect. Paul was excited about it. He said, I consider that the present sufferings of this time will not be compared with the riches of the glory that will be revealed in us in Christ. All right, let's get on to the second faith of Moses. Okay, that was the first one. I know that was a long one. That's, these are, next two are shorter. What's the fa- second faith by Moses here? First, Moses chose painful rejection over personal gratification, and we looked at three reasons why. The second by faith Moses shows us here is that by faith, Moses had more respect for the invisible God than he did for a visible man. Moses had more respect for the invisible God than he did for a visible man. Look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is in. Okay? By faith, Moses had more respect for the invisible God than he did for a visible man because by faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Here's what Moses knew. That the king could only hurt him physically, but he couldn't take away his relationship with the invisible God. You know, Jesus said that to us, New Testament believers, In Matthew chapter 28, he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body, soul and body in hell. Remember, fear of our circumstances or of people or of harm to our body kills our faith, but faith in the invisible God kills our fear. But it says, Moses persevered in faith and went because he saw him who is invisible. Moses was willing to deal with the rage of Pharaoh and a possible physical death and go tend sheep in Midian for 40 years because he saw him who is invisible. If you or I see him who is invisible on a daily basis, we will have the faith to deal with anything that comes our way. Okay? How do you see someone who is invisible? Well, you see him by faith. It's normal for you as a Christian to see the unseeable, the invisible. You know, you do it every day. Every time you think of God, you're seeing someone who is invisible. Every time you read the Bible, every time you pray, every time you attend church, every time you think of the Lord, you're seeing someone who's invisible. And Moses could persevere. This is it. Moses could persevere because he saw him who is invisible. Do you see, let me ask you a personal question. 
Do you see the invisible God every day in the word? Do you? That's how you get to see the invisible God, through this, this Bible that you read every day. Do you see him in prayer every day? Do you see him on a Sunday? Well, I guess I'm preaching to the choir here. You're here. Do we see him every week that we come to church? Because seeing the invisible God on a regular basis increases our faith. And when our faith is increased, we grow and mature, and we're not so knocked off kilter by the threats of the world and the flesh and the devil. We're more stable. We're more secure. We're more grounded. We're more patient. We're less fearful and anxious and worried when we see the invisible God as much as we can. Amen? I'm trying to ask for amens less so they'll be stronger, okay? I've been asking for amens too much. I told Debbie I asked for amens too many times. And they run out of gas giving amens by the end of the sermon. So I'm only going to give, ask for a few amens during the message. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, let's look at um, the third by faith Moses shows us here, okay? And then we'll get to Moses' followers and on to communion and then into our chili, okay? The third by faith um, Moses shows us here is found in verse 28. Uh, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, Moses believed that the blood of the Passover lamb could protect the firstborn of Israel. Now, the background of this, and most of you know this, it's back in Exodus 12, and goodness knows, I would love to read the whole story of the Exodus, but it's, it's, it's quite an extensive story, and I don't have time. I'm, I'm going to give you the abridged version. There's like a three-verse abridged version here that I want to read to you. Then Moses summoned all of the uh, elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it... This is Exodus 12, 21. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood of the basin and put some of the blood on top um, and on both sides of the doorframe, which, by the way, makes the form of a what? A cross. Even then, the cross was... Okay, not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And that's the way it happened. Okay, I just, oh, I wish I could read the whole thing. It's really, really dramatic. Raymond Brown, uh, a, a pastor, summarizes, he says, the instructions were strange, the demands costly, a lamb without blemish, and the ritual unprecedented, but they did precisely as they were told. In simple faith, they kept the Passover. They relied on the God who had spoken to them through his servant. Quote, then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did, and they were delivered. When we follow God's instructions, we get delivered. So there you have the faith of Moses' family, the faith of Moses, and now we have the faith of Moses' followers. And the third principle that we come to here this morning about faith is this. The principle with Moses' followers is this, that faith is willing... This is... Uh, you're not supposed to have favorites, but this is my favorite. 
The principle here is that faith is willing to trust God even when we're facing overwhelming odds. I hope that there's nothing in your life personally or anything about what Keith read to us earlier about our needs is overwhelming to you because it really shouldn't be. Because if we have faith and willingness to trust God, even when we face overwhelming odds, he will come through for us. That's the way it is. It's the law of the universe. If we believe in God's will, by faith, no matter what the odds are, God comes through for us. Let me put it another way, guys. We must trust God apart from our circumstances, either individually or as a church. Let me put it another way, guys. We must trust God apart from our circumstances and feelings in faith, and he will come through for us individually and as a church. Well, let's look at two ways that God worked in the followers of Moses, and I'm going to get real with you. Moses was deeply involved in this too. But it says, I'm just going to read the text. That's my job, just to read the Bible and talk about it. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And you know why I love that so much? Because the people of Israel were a mess. You read, why'd you bring us here, Moses? Why are we at this big sea, Moses? Things were so good in Egypt, Moses. And now you've come out here and we're going to drown, Moses. And I'm thinking, why, God, did you say the people, by faith, the people pass through? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have to be perfect to have faith. Thank goodness. Don't you struggle? Am I the only one? When you're facing a Red Sea, do you just go up and say, by faith, yes. Divide in half. Yes, I'm super spiritual man or woman. No, you bite your fingernails up to the knuckles and you say, oh God, my faith is so small. Oh Lord, why did you take me here? But you have a mustard seed of faith. And they did too. Because when Moses split the sea, they walked through. So they had to have some faith. That's why it said here, but Moses was deeply involved also. And again, the principle here is that faith is willing to trust God even when we're facing overwhelming odds. And they did it in two ways. First, they... uh, trusted God in faith to deal with their impossibilities in life, to deal with their impossibilities. They trusted God to part and then pass through the Red Sea, and that was an impossibility. Let me read to you about the Red Sea. The Red Sea is not a pond, by the way, and it's not a large lake, and it's not one of those bodies of water like Puget Sound gets sometimes where it's like five feet deep and a mile long, you know, not that. Okay, the Red Sea covers an area of 169,100 miles, square miles. It's 1,398 miles in length, 220.6 miles at its widest, and the maximum depth of the Red Sea is 9,970 feet, and its average depth is 1,608 feet. Can you imagine the wall of water that was when they passed through and the ravine that they had to pass through, an impossibility. I want to ask you today, and we ask ourselves as a church, 
What impossibilities, what Red Seas are you or I or us as a church facing? Maybe your Red Sea looks too huge for you. It's hard to have faith. Maybe it involves your family or your finances or your future. But this is where God says, have faith in my abilities, not yours. Now unto him was able to do immeasurably immeasurably above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that now works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Amen. I've been thinking about that verse all week. And then faith enabled them to deal with threats. Was the Egyptian army a, a threat? You bet it was. It was numerous, it was brutal, it was highly trained, and they couldn't wait to shove spears through the hearts of the Israelites. You know, you're facing a threat right now, are you? Are we? We're facing a threat, maybe? Well, God can take care of any threat that we're facing, no matter what threat it is. And he took care of the threat of the Egyptian army by splitting the Red Sea, congealing it into two gigantic walls, having the Israelites go through that. Off to the other side, Pharaoh in his stupidity had his army go through to chase the Israelites. And the last word of the uh, 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 Pharaoh's armies, do you know what the last word is? It's not in scripture, but they do have the last word. Uh oh. What was their last word? Because God caused the wheels of the chariots to go off, the water to come in, they were all killed, and the Israelites were safe. And all the way through the Bible, all the way through, yes, amen, all the way through the Bible. The Red Sea, 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 the Red Sea. What threat are we facing? What threat are you facing? Now, I'm going to close, I'll, I'll, I'll conclude now, because I love this quote. This quote is from my heart to yours, guys. It's from my heart to yours this morning, because I, I do and don't know all that you're facing. Some of you I do, but some of, many, most of you I don't. But listen to this with all your heart. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this this morning. It's a quotation by John MacArthur that I ran across on this passage. And then we'll conclude and take the Lord's Supper. Here it is. The test of faith is trusting God when all we have are his promises. The test of faith is trusting God when all we have are his promises. When the armies and deep waters of life threaten to overwhelm us, and they will, and we are being tested, this is, this is so good, and we're being tested, faith in God and his promises pleases God. And he'll take special pleasure in showing us his faithfulness, love, and power. God takes special pleasure, and it pleases him to take us through our Red Seas and our threats, our impossibilities, when we exercise faith that he will do it even when we don't see the end result. So what does it all mean to us? Well, personally and as a church, I'll speak for both. Whatever our Egypt or our Pharaoh or our Red Sea or our opposing army is, faith in God will get us through to the other side. And I want to encourage you today, put your faith in God's promises and his ability and willingness to deal 
with your situation. In his time and in his way, he'll respond and he'll lead us to victory. Now, of course, the most important act of faith in our lives begins with trusting Jesus Christ for the salvation of our soul. No matter what the world has to offer or loss we'll experience, relational or material, Christ and his eternal reward of heaven makes it pale in comparison. And to be saved, you need to acknowledge that as a sinner, you deserve God's judgment. You're under his, his judgment, his condemnation. And you must abandon all trust in yourself or your good works as a means of salvation. And you must trust in Christ's blood as God's payment for your sins. Every sinner needs to apply the blood of Christ to his or her heart and sins by faith to be saved. But the result, if you do, is salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for this great man of faith, Moses, and the example that he provides for us. Thank you that no matter what we're facing, small or large, daily or year by year, as a church or in our personal lives, our family, our, our, our finances, our future, or whatever, no matter what they are, faith, as the old hymn goes, is the victory that overcomes the world. Lord, Father, all of us need more faith. Give us more faith, Lord. Lord God, give us faith to believe you, to be faithful to your word, to meet our needs in your time and your way. And for those here that are just saying, I have, I have a, a Red Sea that I'm facing and no way does it look like I'm going to get through or I, I, I'm facing the threat of a big army. Lord, help them to know that by faith, Moses, his family, his followers, they all saw victory. And we will too if we trust you. Thank you for those promises, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.